perception trumps reality. These days, a company's reputation is everything. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We've always known how important it is for businesses to maintain a good public reputation. These days, however, it's more vital than ever before. And it's not enough that a company simply makes good products. According to the Reputation Institute, a global research and consulting firm specializing in business reputation management, there are seven elements to consider. Products and services, leadership, governance, workplace, citizenship, innovation, and financial performance. My guest today is Victoria Sadlowska, Research Director with the Reputation Institute. Its work, by the way, is the foundation for Forbes' annual listing of the 150 most reputable companies. She runs down each of those seven dimensions, talks about how corporate reputations are measured, and what companies must do to maintain or improve their public images. Their long-term survival might depend on it. So here is my conversation with Victoria Sadlowska. Well, Victoria Sadlowska, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let's talk about what constitutes a corporate reputation today. I'm interested in understanding how it's different from what that word has meant traditionally. Can you give me a sense of just what is a corporation reputation today versus yesterday? Uh, Sure. Well, uh, first of all, hi, Bob, and thank you for having me on this uh, program. It's um, very exciting topic. The reputation today is becoming more and more important across um, different areas of uh, business. And uh, what we are seeing at Reputation Institute is the emergence of the so-called um, reputation economy, where you know the reputation capital that the company has is essential to kind of the long-term viability of the firm. So um, let me just kind of um, tell you briefly, you know, what we mean at Reputation Institute when we talk about reputation. First of all, we have spent years um, doing research on this topic, and we've developed a model which is called a RepTrack model for measuring corporate reputations that is steeped in years of academic research on this topic, and then it also has been proven in the Um, and applied in the corporate world. So in short, um, we measure two important things. So the first one is the emotional side of reputation. So so what is it? It's uh, really um, how much consumers around the globe in different markets trust, admire, and respect a company. So we evaluate these and capture these emotional attitudes to then create a single reputation score for each firm. 
uh, and that is called uh, kind of the emotional reputation pulse score. Now, interestingly, what we have found over the years is that the emotional perceptions of consumers are in fact uh, driven by a number of rational factors. So, which is uh, which means that the way a company consistently performs over the years um, has it translates into the emotions of consumers. So, um, the way we go about it is um, we segment these rational areas that drive reputation into seven categories, which uh, which are the reputation drivers or dimensions. And uh, we can we see that there is a very strong influence of these rational drivers on the emotional score of a firm. So Reputation Institute actually gathers data on consumer perceptions and um, has both the emotional as well as the rational uh, rankings of uh, companies in um, across all of these areas. Do you find your job is easier these days with the rise of social media because there is so much information and feedback out there that's so easily obtainable? <laughs> that is an interesting question. The social media plays into the corporate communications realm where companies are uh, both trying to educate consumers about what they do as well as consumers sort of investigating the companies on their own and finding stuff out. But uh, from a reputation uh, institute's point of view, we have applied this methodology consistently over the years. So we go out and measure the consumer's feelings as they are. So we have um, a set of very detailed questionnaires where we ask consumers to evaluate things like, for example, um, does the company provide good quality of products? Or you know, are the products good value for money? Do they meet customers' needs? So we have consumers evaluate um, these types of statements, and then we provide um, a sort of a perception score that tells us how what consumers think uh, about this particular company's performance in the product and services dimension. So from our point of view, we sort of capture that uh, final result of all of the social media and informational um, activities that happen. So for us, it hasn't really changed. So it's based on your proactively going out with these surveys, not just passively monitoring comments from consumers on social media. Absolutely. So we have a very um, robust research process, and every year we conduct large-scale study of tens of thousands of consumers all over the world, and we gather information on the biggest companies. And um, every year, Reputation Institute creates a global uh, ranking of the, the top 100 most reputable companies in the world based on the results of this uh, massive quantitative study. So, yeah, we go to, to field and we kind of we gather that primary data. But would you agree that corporate reputations today are at greater risk because of the proliferation of social media and the ability of some kind of a comment to go viral can almost instantly overnight affect a corporation's reputation in a way that might not have been possible before? Oh, absolutely, Bob. One of the major trends that we have seen over the past years is that companies today are kind of responsible and accountable to a much broader group of stakeholders compared to before. 
So because of this trend that you mentioned, because most of the stakeholders from consumers to um, activist groups to regulators, all of them are today more aware and more informed and more capable of actually voicing their opinion in a way that gets heard by all the other stakeholder groups. So all of that puts pressure on the company to suddenly be responsive and hear the voices of you know, certain uh, groups that they didn't have to care about in the past because the group may be really small or like you said, even an individual consumer may create enough um, uh, rockers if they have a, a cause for complaint that hasn't been addressed and things like that. Let's drill down into some of these reputation dimensions, the seven that you mentioned, starting with products and services. That seems pretty self-evident. Is that a question of the quality of product and services, or what is it exactly? Well, um, when we look about the, the, uh, the products and services, and this is one of the seven rational dimensions explaining the emotional health score, um, we evaluate things like, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the quality, consumers' perception. So uh, now remember, we, we we work with reputation. So we look at uh, the, the not the actual but the perceived performance in all of these categories. So we ask consumers to evaluate whether the company produces high-quality products, whether it really stands behind its product, does it meet uh, customer needs consistently, things like, you know, does it provide good value for money. So all of those areas get evaluated under the products and services dimension. You say actual not and not perceived, correct? That's yes. what you're measuring? Although, isn't perception everything? I mean, isn't that isn't reputation all about perception? Whether or not it's grounded in reality is almost irrelevant. If, the, if consumers <laughs> feel that a company's reputation is bad, then it is by definition bad. Yeah, exactly, which is why we talk about the reputation economy, where um, for many firms, you know, perception is maybe if not everything, but it's, it's a major thing and has a major impact on their business results. In fact, that is something that uh, we also track. So we don't just assess the sort of the, the perceptions, uh, the emotional and rational perceptions of consumers, but we also ask them different questions to find out the likelihood of their support for these companies. So when I say support, I mean um, actions like the willingness to buy a company's products or uh, recommend the company, uh, work for a company, or uh, welcome a company to your community. And we have seen that the higher the reputation score for a company, the much more likely consumers are to uh, be more supportive in terms of buying products or working for or welcoming to the community. Okay, let's move along to the next dimension, that of leadership. What do you mean precisely by that? So leadership is an interesting one. It's um, It's got a different sort of dimensions of it. So when we think about leadership, we don't just mean that um, you know, a company has a very visible and strong and appealing leader. That's one of the things. But we also ask questions around things like, is, it a, is a company well organized, for example? Does it have a clear vision for its future, which is a very important one? And things like, uh, you know, does it have excellent management capabilities throughout the organization? How does that square with this, with the dimension after that of governance? It sounds like there's some relationship there. How do you distinguish leadership from governance? So, Bob, let me maybe take a, a quick step back and kind of for the 
benefit of the listeners provide a, a broader framework for these dimensions. So there are seven of them, starting with products and services, innovation, leadership, financial performance, as well as things like governance, workplace, and citizenship. So the way we sort of segment them is into two major groups. The first one is the dimensions of reputation that are related to actual product or service of a company. And these are the the product and innovation dimensions. Um, And the rest of the dimensions are what we call the enterprise-related dimensions. So things that speak to who the company is as an entity, what are its values, mission, what are the or kind of the overarching corporate principles um, that are guiding the firm. So one interesting trend that we have seen is that uh, over um, the past uh, several years, there has been a um, growing shift in importance of enterprise-focused dimensions. So what does that mean? Um, That means that today for consumers, when they think about your firm, it's more important who the company is as an organization and what it stands for um, rather than what are the technical specifications of your product. So what we're seeing is that uh, while product is still the number one most important driver, its relative importance is diminishing um, in the eyes of consumers. And what's growing in importance as one of the major driver of your corporate reputation are such factors as governance and citizenship. So together, those three, the products, governance, and citizenship are the three rational drivers that are most important um, for the, at least in the United States market we can kind of drill down into all of these specifically to look at what are the some of the supply chain strategies that the company can implement to improve its reputation and its dimension. Well, well, we've talked about a few of them already. Obviously, we talked about products and services, and we got into leadership, and I was asking kind of how that shaded into governance and citizenship as well. Those are kind of related terms. I mean, they basically relate to the way that uh, a company is run, but they are distinct in your mind, though. Yeah, so, you know, what we're saying is that not that there is no relation between these dimensions, it's just that we're trying to sort of isolate the unique influence of each one of these rational dimensions of reputation um, in terms of their influence on the emotional perceptions of consumers. So when we think about governance, governance is actually... Um, is um, is a very important topic these days, you know, especially in some of the like financial industries. But it's also very important in the product-centric industries. So when we ask about consumers about governance, we want them to evaluate how open and transparent is company in its business dealings. Things like is the company ethical in the way it conducts business. And is it does it employ fair practices? So a lot of these things we can see very well in the supply chain today, especially in the global supply chain, with um, and things like you know around ethics and transparency and disclosing environmental impact of your supply chain, disclosing the uh, human rights uh, and records and, and labor practices overseas. 
So all of that plays into the way the company handles its transparency and uh, governance in the supply chain has a major impact on how consumers uh, view its overall governance practice. But that also sounds a lot like citizenship, too. Citizenship, I would think, would be like environmental uh, responsibility and stuff like that, the actual underlying practices that form what makes a company a so-called good citizen. Yeah, so now if we move to citizenship, so if under the governance, if we've looked at how company disclose how well and how effectively a company discloses these things. So citizenship itself is a dimension where uh, we ask consumers to evaluate companies based on how whether they're a good corporate citizen. And what we mean by that is both environmental uh, responsibility as well as social responsibility. Does a company have, support good causes? Is it a good neighbor overall for the communities? And does it have an overall positive influence on the society? And then what about workplace? Is that working conditions for the actual people who work for the company or what? Exactly, yes. So is a company, uh, does it provide equal opportunity um, in its employment practices and uh, does it treat employees fairly and things like that? And yet in an extended supply chain, that must be one of the toughest to manage because there are so many outside partners in the age of outsourcing and offshoring of manufacturing you know, if a partner performs poorly in that area, obviously it's going to reflect on the reputation of the company itself. Uh, yes, absolutely. And and that's why, you know, I think that um, supply chain actually plays into all of the seven dimensions of reputation. So all of the aspects from, from product to governance and citizenship that we've covered and workplace, every as- supply chain touches every aspect of these things. And it, has, it kind of works both ways. Not only do your supply chain management practices impact your corporate reputation, but likewise, if you have a better corporate reputation, you can actually achieve a number of benefits for yourself in the supply chain process. So things like, you know, having being able to get um, better deals. So if you're negotiating with potential suppliers, you know, you may be a preferred supplier if you have a better reputation and um, maybe having improved ability to have your voice heard within an industry. So, for example, if you are a better reputed company, you are more likely to be invited to industry groups and uh, participate in the trend setting in your industry, as well as, you know, maybe have a better relationship with the regulatory authorities. So reputation can really help um, on all of those fronts. And likewise, you know, if you are a better reputed firm for things like environmental responsibility and fair trade practices, you're also much more likely to get better reception on the consumer side of it. So how does that affect the way a supply chain is set up and managed? If you if you want to heighten the awareness of supply chain executives within a company that they actually have an impact on the company's reputation and that they're not just responsible for carrying out transactions to get product to market in the most efficient manner possible. That being the case, what should the environment be like? I'm wondering, should there be individuals within the supply chain who are tasked with the reputation oversight? Should there be an individual in the corporation who is responsible for that, or should it be dispersed throughout the corporation with just some kind of a company-wide awareness? How do you even begin to approach this issue? 
Uh, this is a, it's a great question, Bob. One of the first things that you know we like to underscore when we talk about reputation management in general is that there really should not be such thing as a kind of a separate standalone reputation management strategy. Reputation should be um, embedded, really embedded into the overall business strategy. Now, this is something that, you know, when we think about designing a supply chain strategy, that's something we also talk about. How do we really integrate supply chain with the overarching um, business planning and, uh, you know, business strategy? So, I guess that there is no silver bullet solution here, but we can think about sort of integrating all of those strategies in one. So what that would mean is that if improving reputation is one of the long-term goals of the business strategy, then it's going to have an impact on the way supply chain goals are set. So one of the things that's going to happen here is that uh, there there needs to be a more of a long-term vision for both the business overall as well as the supply chain. So if we think um, of, for example, um, you're setting up and negotiating a supplier relationship, a more reputation sort of aware approach would be to not just think about the short-term cost savings, but think about, you know, the um, the need to build the long-lasting relationships and the impact of those uh, relationships on kind of the longer-term success of a, of a firm. And um, that's something that I think, you know, we, we see being discussed a lot on the supplier management side of things. In my past work as a global supply chain analyst, uh, one of the things I spend a lot of time talking about is um, really how to turn supply chains into a competitive differentiator or competitive weapon for companies, if you will. So um, reputation impacts are really a big part of this story. Considering that um, a lot of best practices in, in supply chain management and value chain management are at the same time also great for improving a firm's reputation. could be reputation with suppliers or with its um, ecosystem of partners, its consumers, and as well as other stakeholders like regulators or nonprofits or activist groups that are monitoring the supply chain. So things like um, such important strategies as proving supply chain partner collaboration, gaining increased visibility and transparency in the supply chain, really moving towards being demand-driven and uh, putting the interests of the customers and communities um, uh, at the forefront of your supply chain strategy, all of those things are also key to improving the corporate, corporate reputation in general. For example, let's remember some of the things from, from the past, like um, one years ago when Dell introduced its innovative approach of assembled-to-order model with its uh, laptops. One of the things that happened is that it didn't just save it, it, it didn't only save supply chain costs, but it also gained this reputation as an innovator in the eyes of the consumer. So that's one of that kind of one of the examples of the impact on the innovation uh, dimension of reputation. Almost the the main selling point of a company like Apple, for instance, which is in yes, its entire yes. reputation 
is based on innovation. Look, uh, we are almost out of time, but I just wanted to ask you, and I think you might have touched on some of these points before, but um, the Reputation Institute's research is the foundation for Forbes' annual 150 most reputable companies ranking, correct? That's um, right. That being the case, I'm just wondering what are some of the common characteristics of the leaders on that list year to year, the best practices, or just give me a couple of really quick uh, characteristics that signify what those companies do that puts them at the top of that list year after year? I wouldn't be able to summarize that in, in just a few bullet points. I think it's, it's, a, it's a broader um, theme, but um, maybe one of the things they, I'd like to highlight is that in their, they really focus on the people aspect of their business in everything they do. So, for example, Amazon is the, the most reputable company in the United States this year. And um, we know that this is a company that is famous for, you know, its in innovation and delivering things to exactly what the consumer wants in a short time frame. And, you know, it's one of the companies that our consumers are really fascinated by from an innovation standpoint. But then, uh, interestingly, the number two company is uh, UPS. And uh, as we all know, that is Amazon's supply chain partner. So a question here is, you know, is there an kind of an ecosystem element here where um, the reputation of the of uh, Amazon is having maybe a, a positive impact on UPS as well, and vice versa. So it's kind of a symbiosis here, um, if mm -hmm. you will. Yeah, again, representing the interrelationship of global supply chains. It's a very good point. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Victoria Sadlowska, I want to thank you so much for being with us today and explaining what are some of the real details behind corporate reputation today and helping us to understand that it's not just a question of good public relations. It really is much more complex than that. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much, Bob. That was my conversation with Victoria Sadlowska of the Reputation Institute, talking about how to measure and maintain corporate reputation. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>